0: We end tonight with one of the most potent powers on earth. It can change lives in an instant. Everyone has it. It's the power to forgive. Watch it now in action in Steve Hartman's Assignment America. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson.
1: For all you've done for me. He never had a chance.
0: In February 1993, Mary's son, Loramian Bird, was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20, and Mary's only child.
1: My son was
0: gone. The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years. O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary. This close. He lives next door. Next door. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, as you might expect, but of remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow, she could forgive her son's killer.
1: What'd she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me, I don't know you. Let's just start with right now. Then I was befuddled myself.
0: O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close. They are close. Clearly, Mary was able to forgive.
2: Unforgiveness is like cancer it will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son, but the forgiveness is for me. It's for
0: me. For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy.
1: I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning how to forgive myself, and I'm still growing towards, you know, trying to forgive myself and what it is I've done.
0: To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it, singing the praises of God and forgiveness at prisons, churches. To large audiences everywhere.
1: Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Which
0: explains why Mary can sing her praise of thanks
2: to her audience of one. Steve Hartman, CBS News, Minneapolis. Kind of crazy, huh? I heard you say, oh, when you saw he lived next door. How many of you think you could have that kind of forgiveness? Certainly not natural, is it? It's supernatural. But let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever been wronged, I mean hurt pretty badly, and you've chosen to forgive somebody? Let me see your hands. What's what's wrong with the rest of you? Okay, that's almost everybody, right? There's a few of us that, that haven't forgiven. We'll work on that. Now, let me ask you a question. Since we've been hurt deeply and we have chosen to forgive others, why couldn't God do that? Why couldn't God just look down at sinners and go, I forgive you? We do it all the time, right? Well, I think everybody here probably knows the Sunday school answer. The Sunday school answer is Jesus had to die to pay for our sins. We messed up, we robbed God of his glory, so Jesus had to pay for our mess ups. We asked Jesus to come into our heart and forgive us of our sins, and then we get to live in heaven uh, forever. But, but my question is, why did God come up with this system? Couldn't he have come up with a different system? And and since he's God, can't God change the rules? Right? Because I hear questions like this all the time. If this mom could forgive her son's killer, why couldn't God just look the other way when when it comes to sin? We started this new series last week called Why Did Jesus? Last week we talked about Why Did Jesus Live? And we said Jesus lived to show us what God was like. Very clear in Scripture. He came to show us to be a physical representation of the invisible God. This week, I want to look at why did Jesus die, and we're going to look at one of the most theological books in the Bible, the book of Romans. If you have your smartphone, be sure and go there. Uh, You can can take out uh, version. You can go carry your your Bible there. You can also find our notes there. If not, uh, just follow along on the screen, but I want to show you from Scripture why why a loving, holy God couldn't just look the other way and forgive. Paul is writing to Christians. Uh, in the city of Rome, and we start in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. And I actually backed up to this verse because I wanted you to get the context. It says, "'Because no one can be made right with God "'by following the law.'" Paul is talking to Christians, but he's also talking to the Jews, and he's saying to the Jews, yes, we are a favored people of God, he said, but that favoring of God just means God chose us, and God gave us the law, but the law can't do anything for us except point us to God. The the law can't save us. Following the law can't save us. The law was good, and it was just, but it just shows us that we're sinners, and we're going to get that here in a second, because no one can be made right with God by following the law. The law only shows us our sin. Now, this is the remarkable thing, but God has a way to make people right with him without the law, and he has now shown us a way that, uh, which the law and the prophets told us about. Up until this time, every world religion said that, that you, to be in right standing with God, you had to keep some rules, um, and that idea is still taught by a lot of religions today uh, outside of Christianity, and where Christianity is messed up, they're still teaching religion instead of relationship today, but that's not what it's about. The old way said, keep the rules and God will like you. Paul says, surprise, there's a new approach to God and it's not about rules. But here's the thing, he's trying to show them that it was very consistent with the Old Testament. The law and the prophets pointed to salvation through Christ. Um, The sacrifices and the prophecies, everything foreshadowed the truth of the salvation coming through Jesus Christ. Now pick it up in verse 22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Now, if you have a different translation, the NIV or the New American Standard, it says there's neither Jew nor Gentile before God. And here he's, he's making that case again. He's saying that Jews, yes, we were chosen by God, but our being chosen by God does not get us into heaven. Following the law does not get us into heaven because no one can follow the law except Jesus Christ. Jesus came, I came, he said, I came to fulfill the law. No one accepted him. The law just showed us that we were unrighteous. And now he's saying there's a new way and everyone who believes, no matter who you are, Jew or Gentile, Jew was the, anybody here a Jew? And there's nothing wrong with that if you're a Jew. Just let me see, anybody have Jewish heritage? So everybody in this room is a Gentile. If you ever see that in scripture, that means somebody who's not a Jew. And so Jews, Gentiles, it doesn't matter what your, your nationality is, your, your racial heritage is. It does not matter. Everybody comes to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who they are. So faith is only as good as the object of your faith. Everyone believes in something even if they only believe in themselves. But the Christian believes in Christ, has put their faith in Christ. Paul says that to have a right standing with God, it's not based on rules, it's not based on regulations, sacrifices, or rituals, it's not based on anything you do or don't do, it's based on what, according to these verses? It's not behaving, it's what? Believing. It's not behaving, it's what? Believing. And this goes for Jews and Gentiles, no matter who we are. Now, verse 23, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to say, everyone means you. Now I want you to look at your other neighbor and say, all means you. All right, so we're very clear. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short of God's glory. Uh, in the old system, some people were really good at rule keeping. Other people weren't so good at rule keeping. But in the new system, that doesn't matter because we all come to God, not based on behavior, but based on what we believe. And somewhere in your past, you sinned. Because of that sin, you aren't good enough to stand before a holy God. You don't measure up. What it really means is you missed the mark. All right, I have a target here. Let's pretend that we have a bow and not a crossbow like John's. That's a really nice thing and and it's really easy to shoot that and I I killed a deer with that this year. But let's say you have one of those old-fashioned bows and and I tell you that in order to get to heaven, in order to be able to stand before God, you have to hit four bullseyes in a row from the back door or further. All right, how many of you think you could do it? How How many did I tell you you had to get? Four in a row. All right, so let's say you all go back there and I'm willing to bet that everybody in here misses the first one. Now, I said, who was that? I can't see who. who oh, it's Travis. Travis said he could do it. We're, we're going to test you. I'm going to come to your house, and we're going to test you on this. So let's say you miss the first one. Then you make three bullseyes in a row. What, was, what were the rules of the contest? Four. In order to go to the next round, you have to make four in a row. You miss the first one, you make three. So what happens to you? Ah, Disqualified. Well, that's not fair. Wait, wait, wait. The rules are perfection. If you can be perfect, perfect, you can move to the next row, the next, next round. And what if you hit 10 in a row? Does that make up for the first miss? No, you've been disqualified because you missed the first one. God says we all have missed at least one. That's what it means f- to fall short of God's glorious standard. No matter how perfect you are from this point forward, and this is what people do with religion, they try to be perfect religiously to earn God's favor, but if you mess up, you can never earn God's favor. God declared that everyone was guilty because they missed at least once, but then he does something that is unbelievable, unprecedented, and has never happened in history before or since. Pick it up in verse 24. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. I'm going to jump around a little bit here Ernest, so be ready for this. I need to stop right here at this righteous. If you have your listening guides, I want you to underline declares that we are righteous. And then if you're a note taker, here's what you need to write because I'm going to give you a theological term that describes God declaring us righteous, and it is justification by faith. Justification by faith. J U S T I F I C A T I O N by faith. And here's what that means. Justification, there's three things you need to understand about justification. First, it's an act, not a process. Let me explain that. Justification is an act, not a process. What that means is there are no degrees of justification. I'm a pastor, I'm not any more justified than you are. You're not any more justified than I am. It is, a, it is an act. It's a one-time act. Now, don't get that confused with the word sanctification. We'll talk about that another day. Sanctification is the process by which you become more and more like Jesus over time. That one that is progressive, there are levels of sanctification, but there are not levels of justification. We are all justified um, if you're a believer in Christ. Number two, justification is something God does. No sinner can justify themselves. Why? Because we've all missed the mark, because we've all sinned. Number three, justification is a legal matter. God sits in judgment on sinners... And those who trust in Jesus Christ, he takes all of their sin and he blots it out with the blood of Jesus Christ. And and you are declared righteous. You are justified because God, the judge says you're justified. Nothing you can do can earn it. It's a free gift. You have to decide that before you die. And it's why some people think, well, you know, I can live like hell. I can can totally ignore God my whole life on this earth. And then when I stand before God, I think he's just going to go, oh, it's okay. Come on in. Not if what Jesus said is true. They're in for a very rude awakening. And, and we're gonna explain that whole process here in a second. You have to accept this justification, this declared righteousness by God. You have to accept that before you die because when you die, it's too late and, and someone will die for your sins. Either Jesus dies in your place or you will die for your sins. All right, back to the verse. Yet God with undeserved kindness declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. I want you to underline that phrase because we're going to come back to it in a second. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus Christ sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. All right. Now that freed us from the penalty of sin means redeemed. Um... And and don't you, how many of you, you understand this, how many of you have, have coupons at home? Two people, three, four, five. Okay, these come in the paper. You may not know that, but once a week they come in the paper, and I get the paper. I used to go by a Dallas Morning News till it got too high, and, and there were good coupons in there. Janie would always say... These are the Palestine Herald Press, and there's like four of them. In the Dallas Morning News, there used to be pages and pages, and she would always want me to get them. And coupons are awesome, right? How many of you are extreme couponers? I know we've got a couple in here. Extreme coupon—you nobody's going to admit it. You don't want anybody to know that you're the person going, beep, beep, and the person behind, because I've been behind those people going, oh dear God, I'm going to kill them for their coupons. Because they, you know, I'm in a hurry. And that's why I'm so grateful to God that there are self-checkouts, and and, and I, this is, I think people ought to have to go through an IQ test before they use the self-checkout, all right? I'm just saying, just saying. Some people do not have the IQ. Okay, we'll move on. Um, (laughs) Now, let's say that you have thousands and thousands of dollars worth of coupons in your house. You never take them to the store, and you never present them for redemption. Do those coupons do you any good? No, they're completely worthless, until you redeem them. I once was given a uh, gift certificate for, uh, for doing a wedding. And I had it for like two years. And, and they were actually celebrating their second anniversary. And they're like, do you ever use that? And I went, no. And that was back in the days where you, they were still good. Nowadays, I think most of them have a, a one-year limit. You know, you have to use those things. It did me no good because it was sitting there. All right, here's the deal. God offers to declare you righteous. He offers to redeem you but you have to accept his offer. It's like, it's like redeeming the coupon. If you never accept that, one time I was standing in line and actually somebody behind me felt sorry for me, saw some objects, they, they had to be extreme couponers, saw some objects in my basket and handed me coupons. I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> my mama told me you're supposed to share and I just saw it. I'm, I'm 38 years old and I first saw sharing. Woo, you know. It was cool. They didn't have to do that, but they wanted me to get the best price possible. Here's the thing. God offers redemption, but you have to accept it. The opportunity came through Jesus Christ. So don't ever think that salvation is cheap. It cost God his son. And if you don't accept Jesus' payment, then you have to pay for your own sins in a place called hell. It is the reality. Told you last week, only like 5% of people believe in hell. 80, uh, almost 80% of people in America believe in heaven. Jesus is the, is the source of both ideas, heaven and hell. If you're going to believe in one, then you need to believe in another. Redemption means Jesus had to die. He bought your righteousness with his blood. And if you've read the Bible, you've seen this. I think I got a slide on there. Did I put a slide in there? The whole, the Ark of the Covenant? Put that up there. All right. If you've read in the Old Testament, you know about the Ark of the Covenant. They had a tabernacle, which was a temporary place, dwelling place for God before the temple. The tabernacle was really a big tent, and there was this big elaborate uh, deal where they set it up, and then in the middle, there was something called um, the holy place, and then there was the holy of holies. Only the high priest could go in there, and this was, this we don't know exactly what the, the Ark of the Covenant looks like. It's pretty funny. If you Google it, you'll see, you'll see a thousand different ideas of what it looked like, but this is basically it. We know it was gold-covered. We know that there were two uh, cherubim on there, and that we know that there were touched. Now here's what would happen on the day of atonement. Two goats would be brought to the high priest. One of them he would pick and he would slaughter it. He would would slice his neck. He would drain its blood. He would catch the blood. He would go into the most holy place. And the Ark of the Covenant, what was in there was the two tablets, the 10 commandments that that, uh, God gave to Moses. So that was in there and, and Aaron's staff. And anyway, there's a couple of things in there, but it had symbolically it had the the Ten Commandments in there. So the priest would take the blood of the goat and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat and, and the mercy seat is just this covering here. And so symbolically that blood would come on top of the Ark of the Covenant and it would cover temporarily the sins of the people. Then the other goat the priest would take and he would put his hands on the head of the goat and he would confess all the sins of Israel that they had committed in that last year then they would take this goat, and this is actually where we get the term scapegoat, they would take this goat out in the wilderness and let it run away. Symbolically, it would carry away the sins of the people. And it can help, that helps you understand that picture of this goat being lost in the wilderness, going as far, they they didn't even know where it was. It helps you understand when the psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's, that's, a, that's a very real word picture that the Israelites would understand. The scapegoat is going out and taking away the blood of the people. Now, to verse 25, the first half of verse 25. This sacrifice, so they're thinking back to all of this stuff I just talked about. This sacrifice of Jesus shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, Now, the question is, why can't God just forgive sin? Why can't he just say, all right, I forgive you? Well, you have to understand he can't go against his nature, and by nature, he is a just God, a holy, righteous God. And some people can't understand that. They can't grasp this because they look around and they say, if you're a God of justice, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? If you're a God of justice, why don't you do something? Well, he did when he watched his son die. Read this verse again, thinking about that. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. When you have pure justice, pure holiness, when someone messes up, someone has to pay. Pure justice doesn't let people off the hook. We do. Are we pure? Anyone perfect? So we can't Say to God, well, we let people off the hook, you should too, because God's in a different category than we are. Somebody has to pay when one of his laws are broken. Now, verse 26, for he was looking ahead and including them in what, w- what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. So, okay, he's just, and then this next part, he declares sinners to be right. So, if, you, if you're taking notes there, you might want to write this in. He's just And he's the justifier. He's the one that justifies us legally in the spiritual sense. And he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. For years and years and years, there seemed to be no justice. If you're such a just God, why isn't sin being punished? And Jesus said, here it is. It's because of my mercy. But you have to know that eventually someone has to pay. So I'm going to send my son to authenticate my justice. God can't break his own law, and a God of justice wants to punish sin through death and uphold righteousness, but a God of love wants to forgive sinners, how can God be both just just and justifier? It's through Jesus Christ. Now, the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament, here's why we don't do these anymore. They were temporary. They covered the sin temporarily until Jesus took the place of sinners permanently, But again, you have to understand that you have to be redeemed. You have to accept that redemption. So what God did with Jesus, no one, Satan, whose name is the accuser, Satan or no one else can accuse God of being unjust because of what he did with Jesus Christ on the cross. He authenticated his justice when Jesus died in our place. And if you ever start to doubt God, quit looking at your circumstances. Instead, look at the cross. Because God took the worst thing that ever happened in the history of the world, that was the beating and the crucifixion of his innocent son, three days later, he turned it into the most remarkable gift the world has ever seen. If God can take that gift, that horrible thing, and make it a gift, then don't you ever think that God can't work in the midst of your circumstances. Never look at your circumstances without also looking at the cross, If you need to, this is what I do sometimes. Sometimes I go back and I watch the the passion of the Christ and I watch the beating that Christ took. And I say it was my sin that put him there. And then when I remember that, it doesn't matter what you do to me. I can forgive you. I think that's how the lady forgave the, the young man who killed her son. Because there's a supernatural power at work in her life. Now, God is so committed to justice that he sent his son to pay for the sins of everyone in the world, but not everybody will redeem that coupon. Not everybody will be saved. Last week, why did Jesus live? To show us what God was like. This week, why did Jesus die? Because God is a God of justice. Now, there's three things I put on your listening guide. Because of his mercy, he delayed payment. It's the only reason that Adam and Eve didn't die instantly, because of God's mercy. God's mercy. Remember what, what Satan told them? You'll not die. Well, they were gonna die physically. They could have lived forever had they made the right choices, but they didn't. And so physical death became a reality. And really, there's three types of death. There's, there's physical death, there's spiritual death, which is being separated from God, and then there's eternal death. Eternal death is what you um, endure if you are not redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So because of his mercy, he delayed payment. Because of his justice, he He demanded payment. A just God, eventually somebody's got to pay. And because of his grace, he made the payment. Don't ever say God is not merciful. Don't ever say God is not just. Don't ever say God doesn't show grace. Ignorant people say such things. You see, our inability to understand the purity and the holiness and the majesty of God causes us to underestimate the significance of our sin. We don't understand what sin is like. What what we do is I compare my sin to yours and I think, wow, I'm not that bad compared to Joe. Or Joe might look at me and he goes, man, compared to that preacher, I'm good, right? God doesn't compare my sin with your sin. God compares my spiritual condition with his holy son. And even one miss disqualifies me from heaven. And so I have to make a choice. Am I going to have, am I going to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus or am I going to, am I going to pay the price for my sin with my own blood? One spot earns a separation from God. And see, we can't understand this. And, and um, here's, here's the deal. I heard a dad talking about this and I think this explains why we can't understand the significance of sin. Uh, he said he was walking through his garage one day and a uh, brand new car. Well, it had just been fixed not long before. And he looks down the side, and he sees scratches all down the side of his car. And what it looks like, hello, what it looks like is a kid went through with a stick and just did this. So his first thought was his oldest son. So he goes and talks to his older son, and he says, son, did you do this? And he goes, no, daddy, because he had done this before and learned his lesson. And so he goes, well, who do you think did it? And he said, I think Allie did it. Well, Allie's two. So dad goes and gets Allie and brings her out in the garage. He said, Allie, did you do this? Yep. Allie, why did you scratch my car? I don't know. So the dad starts explaining to her, don't you understand what this is going to cost me? I'm gonna have to take a day off work. I gotta take it back to the body shop and they're gonna have it for who knows how long and I'm gonna have to rent a car and then I'm gonna take it back once they give it to me. It's never good enough because you know I always find more defects and I'm gonna have to take it back and I'm gonna be without the car. Do you know how much this is gonna cost? (laughs) Do you know how much $1,000 is, Allie? (laughs) What's dad gonna do? Beat it out of her? No. What's any dad going to do in that situation? He's going to pay the cost himself. And you see what we do is we look at our sin and we go, God, it's just a scratch on your car. It's no big deal. And God says, from the perspective of his holiness, you've got about as much spiritual perspective as a two-year-old. And I can't even explain to you my holiness. He says, "So I'll tell you what. I'll just pay. I watch my son die on the cross, knowing that some people will reject him. Some people are stubborn that way. They don't want God to pay. I'll pay. Sometimes we talk about that in my family. People who, who die and, and um, they go out defiant. I don't need God. And the day of their death, we, we talk about, wonder, wonder how defiant they are now that they're stepping into the fires of hell. Uh, I don't think they're very defiant anymore. And according to Jesus, they're in torment and they're, they're wishing they could go back. And they're in so much torment, they're wishing they could, they could go back and tell their relatives how they could be redeemed. So we just don't understand the holiness of God. Now, there were a couple of guys in the Old Testament, big names, Moses, Isaiah, big names, right? Moses one time asked God, he said, he said God, would you show me your glory? And, and so God says, well, you can't see my face and live. It'll kill you. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in this this cleft of the rock, in this cliff. I'm going to put you in a rock and and I'm just going to pass by and and when it's okay for you just to look at my back, I'll let you look at my back because if you see my face, you will die. If you're Moses going, yes, sir. (laughs) Isaiah, Isaiah in in one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible is Isaiah chapter six. And he says, I was in in the year King Uzziah died, I was in the temple. And he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he was seated on on his throne and it said that the the train of his robe filled the temple and the glory of God filled the temple and there were cherubim and seraphim flying around and they were going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And you know what Isaiah did? Prophet of God fell on his face and said I am in so much trouble this was a vision this wasn't he wasn't physically in heaven this was a vision he said I am messed up he said I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips I'm gonna die God had mercy took a coal from the fire and went and touched his lips and he said now you're clean and then God says who am I gonna send who will go for me and, and Isaiah's looking around and he goes I'll go God says you've been cleansed you can go Fast forward to the New Testament, the last book of the Bible is Revelation. And, and I don't know if you know much about John, one of the disciples. But in the book of John, he says the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was really tight. They were good friends. Everywhere that Jesus went, you know, he would sometimes go and just take three, Peter, James, and John. This is the John. And um, he was really tight with him. When, when they had the Lord's Supper, it says that, that he was so close to Jesus, he was actually leaning up against him. Because they would recline on the floor. They didn't have tables up like we do. They would be on the floor. He would recline on Jesus. He was actually laying his head over towards Jesus when he would ask him a question. He's that close to him. And, and we find out that at the end of his life, John is on the island of Patmos. He's been uh, excommunicated. He's exiled there. And, and all of a sudden, one day, on the Lord's Day, he's worshiping, and he catches a vision of God, and, and God says, write all this stuff down. And then he hears this voice, and it's Jesus Christ himself, his friend, and he turns around and he sees him, and he says, I fell on my face like a dead man and could not move. And you're going, John, John, it's Jesus You know Jesus, he's your friend. And John says, I've never seen him like that in his glory. Anytime in scripture, people saw an angelic being or even the, the representation of Christ, they were scared to death that they were gonna die because holiness does that to sinners. We have to understand it's a big deal that God redeemed us. God says, he says, I'm a, I'm a God of mercy, so I delayed punishment. I'm a God of justice, so somebody has to pay. But I'm a God of grace, so I'm gonna make the payment for you. And some of you here have been redeemed. Some of you haven't. Some of your sins are paid for. But if you haven't, here's the really scary thing for you. The Bible says that that one day Jesus is gonna come back, but when he comes back, he's not coming back as savior. He's coming back as judge. And whether you claim to believe him or not, when the judge stands before you in holiness and righteousness, the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. You don't wanna see him as judge. Judge. You want to see him as Savior. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? You have to understand that we do church week in and week out because we want people to be redeemed. And so I'm just curious, everybody bow your heads, this is this, I don't do this very often, but I, I don't want anybody looking around because this is nobody's business. If there's some question about whether you're redeemed or not, whether Christ has paid the price for you or not, just very quietly raise your hand, would you? According to 1 John, it says, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I've written to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. And so those of you who raised your hands, if you're ready, I'm just going to challenge you to pray this prayer. And it's not a magical prayer. You have to mean it. But just quietly where you are, pray this. I believe someone has to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus did. And I accept what Jesus did as payment for my mistakes, my sins. God, I give you my life and I accept yours in return. Then you just say amen. If you prayed that and you meant it according to scripture, the angels of heaven rejoice when one person is redeemed. I want you to watch this video and then we're going to be dismissed. seen that before. Some of you had, I just thought it was very appropriate for this message. I want you to take your registration cards and you can fill those out. If you filled them out before, just put your name on the front, turn it over on the back. And and I'm going to ask you one of two questions because everybody in here should be in one of two categories. First, hopefully at the end of this, you understand redemption. And so if, if you're not a Christ follower, but you get it, and, and that's all you have to do is just understand it. Then you just write down, I understand redemption. The rest of you, you are Christ followers. And so you should be in the category of I am redeemed. All right, you got one of two choices. I get it or I am redeemed. We have three baskets at the back. One is our joy basket. It's how we give our offerings there or online, nlccp.com. Um, there's a little box there. It says online giving. You can do it that way. A lot of folks are doing that. Second basket is our registration card basket. That's where you put these cards. If you have prayer concerns, put those on the back. Uh, be sure and write down the, the answer to prayer as well. I love seeing that. So put those on there. I go through them several times during the week. Some of them I put on my little prayer list here. Uh, and here's the other thing. If if this is a prayer concern that you don't mind us sharing with the church, because we've started praying on Tuesdays. We're just kind of declaring Tuesday the day of prayer for the church. If you can come up here, great. If you can't come up here, great. Pray where you are. Eventually, we want it to be the whole day, from, from 9 a.m. until 8 or 9 o'clock at night. We want the, the whole day to be prayed for. You can come up here. You can pray right now. We're meeting at 8 o'clock. Are we going to leave it there? 8 o'clock right now on Tuesdays, if you can come, that's great. Come on up here if you can't. Just pray sometime during the day. And if you want to come up earlier, I'm usually here from 9 until 4 every day, and you can come and you can come in here and pray. But we're also going to start printing a prayer guide, and so if you don't mind uh, the prayer ministry seeing that, then you just write on, on your concerns, um, it's okay for somebody to see this, or if it's not, you say for your eyes only, something like that. So I'll know not to, to publish those. Uh, so anyway, that's gonna happen on Tuesday nights. There's a second basket back there, you put that in. The third basket is our bagel basket. Now here's, here's what's awesome about the bagel basket. We've been able to pay off all of our debt, so our church has zero debt. We don't have any debt on the new room, and we're, we, we'll finish that room up pretty quickly. We gotta, we, we gotta get some TVs. Anyway, long story about that. Uh, now today, I thought it was interesting... That it rained as most of you were coming to church. How many of you got wet coming to church? All right. See, I thought this was really kind of God's object lesson, because last week we were talking about building a covered drop-off out there, and and so I said, God, thank you. I got here at six this morning. It wasn't raining at six, so I didn't get wet. So y'all got wet, and, and so I said, God, you're helping us raise money for that. Because George came up here and we talked about it and, and man, there's some, there's some serious bucks that, that need to, to come forward. So I'm not even gonna print, put that out there yet until I talk to the board, but I will say that we've gotten some bids. We're talking about concreting some areas out here. We, we actually have four different things. We've, we talked about concreting everything, which, which wow. It's number two, we talked about concreting half of it and then a third of it, you know, all of this stuff, but it's gonna take some cash. So here's the thing about the bagel basket. Everything that goes in there, Goes to pay for projects like that. It doesn't go to raises. It doesn't go to anything else. It goes just for building type stuff. And so we were able to pay off over thirty thousand dollars for our new room up there, our new youth room. We didn't have to go into debt for that. We don't ever want to go into debt again. So everything that goes in there builds up. And and I'm just going to tell you, it's it's some serious cash uh, as we started looking at that. But we'll we'll be presenting that in the future and let you know. But I just thought it was a great lesson. God's awesome that way. Let's stand and be dismissed. Father, it's my prayer that not a single person within driving distance of New Life Community Church has to suffer hell because they don't know what it means to be redeemed. You've put every person in this room here strategically because there's someone in our path that we need to lead to Christ. Help us to quit playing Christianity and start living it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.